Welcome to the Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast, inside the business, buzz, and brilliance of Black entrepreneurs. Here is your host, Dr. Francis Richards. What happens in Vegas goes all over the world on Black Entrepreneur Experience, episode number 384. Thank you for joining us as we elevate the Black Entrepreneur Experience by interviewing CEOs, thought leaders, innovative thinkers, and Black entrepreneurs across the globe. I'm your host, Dr. Francis Richards. Our next guest went from a struggling insurance salesman to becoming a self-made entrepreneur, digital nomad, and founder of PitchDB, a software company. Welcome, Ron Story Jr. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? How are you doing, Francis? I'm great. I've given our audience such a brief bio. Why don't you fill in the gaps and share with our audience what you'd like them to know about you and your company? I would say my name again, but you've already done a great job of that. So I'm, I'm Ron, and I'm just a kid that grew up in East St. Louis, um, a city that's known for athletes and great musicians. We have a lot of Olympians from there, a lot of famous musicians such as Miles Davis, and there weren't a lot of real famous entrepreneurs. And so I found that to be my lane. So I wanted to be a great business person to kind of give the kids in East St. Louis inspiration that they could do something other than play music or entertainment or being athletics. So yeah, that's me. That's kind of my perspective on, on life. I like to inspire people to challenge their, their current fears and beliefs. And for me, that was getting out of East St. Louis and traveling the world and living in other places to be able to see if, if there was a place that I would be treated best. Talk about your company, PitchDB. So PitchDB is a, is a company that I actually purchased back in 2018. So in January in 2018, I purchased a data company out of Austin, Texas that was used to send emails to people. So we bought about 300 million people's email accounts along with their job title and their LinkedIn profiles and things of that sort in order to start sales conversations. We eventually focused that down into getting people booked on podcasts. Just like I'm talking to you now, this conversation was set up via my assistant who said, I told her, hey, I need to be on more podcasts. And she said, I'm going to find you some great ones. And she sent me a list of, of ideas. And I said, I like this. I like that. And here we are today. So PitchDB enables people to do exactly what we're doing right now, which is talk over podcasts. Okay. And talk about, I want you to fill in the blank. Thank you, pandemic, because. Because it gave me an opportunity to kind of be a first mover on a new industry. Prior to the pandemic, there are only about 200,000 podcasts. As of right now, there's about 3.1 million podcasts. And um, the pandemic was the big tidal wave that pushed podcasting to the front of everybody's mind because everybody was at home with nothing to do. So a lot of them decided to start to start podcasts. And some people have continued with their podcast, but some people haven't, but that's okay. But it, it brought in a new mode of communication so that it helped my business tremendously. And I'm very grateful for the pandemic for that. What is something that we should know about your industry that we don't know about your industry as consumers? Uh, that podcasting is probably the most efficient way to market a business. Imagine when we, when I was younger on television, we had infomercials. 
where people would go on there and it slices, it dices. And if you buy it for $19.99, we'll give you 50 more knives and they give you the Ginzu commercials. You had all of these infomercials, right? And nobody really wanted to watch them unless you were interested in what they were talking about. But podcasting is, if done properly, can be a great way to, to educate people in the audience, but also a great way to get people's attention for growing a business. So I think most business owners should probably either have their own podcast or at worst, be going on to other podcasts to share their story, to talk about how they can help the audience and actually help the audience, make them better. But at the same time, know that that's a great marketing channel for their business. Understanding business life cycles and how to avoid the major pitfalls as you grow. Talk about that. One of the biggest reasons why most businesses fail is because they don't have consistent sales, right? So if you can find a consistent way to have leads every day, you'll probably never run out of business. I've never heard of a business going out because they sold too much, right? So most businesses, they sell a little bit, they take a step back, they try to service those customers, they sell a little bit more, they take a step back, especially the new solopreneur who's a coach thought leader, something of that sort. They don't have a consistent, every day we're going to get 35 leads come in, we're going to be on six sales meetings, we're going to close two deals. Most business owners that are under 10 employees don't have that type of system. They're kind of sometimes selling, right? So if you're going to make it to the next stage in the business life cycle, you have, consistent sales is the number one thing. And that's what most businesses that um, I talk to are usually missing. They're missing that consistent sales channel where they can have leads every single day to close sales. And when you're talking about that solopreneur and to have that consistent sales each and every day, what would you recommend for them to get that? I think the first thing they have to do is to find out where their people live. Um, and what I mean by that is not where they physically live, but where they congregate online. Right. So it may be podcasting. If you know that you can get in front of 500 to 1,000 people just by going on a podcast, you should go on podcast every day. Right. If you know your, your people are in Facebook groups, you should be joining every Facebook group that has your target audience. Right. If you know they're in LinkedIn, you should be posting on LinkedIn and driving traffic to those people because you can target who sees your post on LinkedIn and on Facebook. I prefer LinkedIn because it's it's more professional. Right. So you can drive to get your post in front of people. So if you don't have that consistent channel, the first thing you have to do is to find out where your people are and go there. And then once you're there, don't be afraid to talk to people about what you're doing. Offer what you're doing for free first. Right. I'm a firm believer that you go in and you say, hey, look, can I do a little bit for you for free? Right. I won't do the whole thing, but I'll do a little bit for you so that you can earn my trust so that, you know, you can. You'll, you'll trust me that I can perform. And then if I'm doing a great job, will you pay me to keep doing it? And if they don't agree to pay me to keep doing it after I've done it for free, then I just don't do it at all. A lot of times what we do, we go and we offer our services for free, but we forget to get the commitment from them that says, after I do it right for free, you're going to keep paying me to do more of it. So most people, they go in and say, oh, I'll do it for you for free. And then they say, okay, you like it? They're like, yeah, I liked it. Well, you know, you want more, more. All I needed was that one. Oh, crap. Now I'm upset and I'm a bit passive aggressive because 
I didn't get the commitment up front, right? So I'm a firm believer in allowing people to try it, try out my service with the agreement that if you like it, you will buy it. If we can't come to the agreement that if you try my service and you're going to buy it if you like it, then don't try it. I would rather you go away someone else's time because I'm not in the business of, of charity. I'm in the business of making sales, but I'm willing to put my first foot forward. Like I'm willing to make the sacrifice of my time because I believe in what I do well enough in order to prove to you that I'm good enough. But when, when you know I'm good enough, give me a pat on the back and give me the business. And why sales should always be the focus and how to use cold email as the main sales strategy? Yeah, so I think cold email is the it's the most direct call, right? So let me give you an example. Regardless of whether it's email, talking to someone in the elevator, you know, running an ad, you have to have an offer that people can respond to, right? So one great example is if we were on an elevator and I had 30 seconds, I'm like, oh man, that's that's Dr. Richards. I know she could use what we have. I know I can help her. And I got 30 seconds. You don't know me from Adam. How do I, in two sentences, tell you what I do, right? So what I would say is something of this sort. Hey, I think you're Dr. Richards. And you say, yeah, I'm Dr. Richards. I'm Ron Story. I actually help coaches and consultants to get 30 meetings in 30 days guaranteed. Is this something worth talking about? I think I can help your business. And if she's like, no, I don't need 30 meetings in 30 days. Cool. No problem. I'm okay with that. But if she's like 30, you can get me 30 sales meetings in the next 30 days. Well, okay. How? Now I have a conversation we can have, right? So if we just take that same two sentences, right? I reach out via email. Hey, Dr. Richards, that's the same thing I said in the elevator, right? Hey, how's it going? Right? Let you know who I am. Hey, I do this. Is this something worth the 10-minute conversation? That's basically the cold email framework, right? It's very simple. It's not a bunch of salesy marketing. Because if I was in an elevator, I would sound weird if I was like, hey, I do this and I do that and I do this. You're like, dude, I don't even know you. Why are you telling me all this weird stuff? And how do you even know my name? And you know, you're kind of being weird. Well, people do that in email. And we send three sentences. Hi, here's how I found your information. This is what I do. You want to talk about it. Nothing else. Right. And we get probably about a 6% meeting request out of that. So if I reach out to 100 people, I'm going to get six meetings on average. Right. But I'm going to get 80 to 90% of the people to read that email. Now, I mean, I've had my friends that have asked me about cold email. We've emailed Melody Hobson, who's George Lucas's wife that runs Ariel Investments. We've got interviews. If you go on YouTube, the most watched interview on YouTube of Robert Smith, the richest black man in America, is with one of my brothers, my frat brother, Darius Gant at Columbia University. We cold emailed that appearance, right? So I know cold email works. And it's the most, it's just the email form of an introduction if you were in an elevator. The major mistake business owners make with lead generation is what? Not doing it enough, right? So the first part of what I mean by, I have this saying with, with with my clients, you have to do enough for long enough, right? So I took a, like a pilot's class because I want to be a private pilot. And in the first lesson, what they tell you, they show you these lines on the on the runway. 
And they're like, look, you got to get up to speed before this line, because if you don't, we got to shut it down because you won't have enough speed in order to take off. So imagine if you have to get up to 90 miles per hour. And as soon as you hit 90 miles per hour, you back off. Well, the plane ain't going to go in the air. You got to go 90 miles per hour for long enough. It's not just good enough to hit 90 miles per hour once. You have to do enough for long enough in order for the plane to take off. Most people don't do enough lead generation for a long enough period of time in order to make the business take off. Why? Because they start doing it and it's not working. So they're like, wait a minute, I'm going, but this this plane ain't getting in the air. And it's just bouncing. They're like, oh, no, I'm scared. I don't think we're going to make it. So they shut it down. Then they say Facebook ads don't work. And then they go and they track cold email. They get up to 89 and the plane's bouncing along. You ever see one of those little small planes try to take off and they just bounce and they're doing all of this and they try cold email and it's bouncing and it's not working. They shut it down, right? And then they try billboards and they try all these other things. They just didn't do it long enough. I'm a firm believer that all types of marketing and advertising will work if you do it long enough to first figure out how to do it, right? So you first, you got to get good enough at it. And then once you're good enough at it, you have to build the infrastructure to support it. So right now, if I were to send emails for someone to get them sales meetings, I can send you 25 meetings a day. But if you don't have enough salespeople to take those 25 meetings, I've done you a disservice, right? So the doing enough for long enough means do enough to learn to get good but do it long enough so that you can build the infrastructure underneath. And then as you keep doing it, you'll master that that one channel and nobody will be able to stop you, right? So last year we set 6,700 sales meetings, right? But I had to talk to 115,000 strangers in order to get 6,700 sales meetings. We emailed 115,000 people, right? But that's doing enough for long enough. I've been doing this for 14 years. Right. So I had to get I was really bad at it at first. It was terrible. So that's the main thing that that I'm saying is you can overcome a lot of the sales channel issues just by sticking with it and doing enough. You can't send five emails. You can't cold call five people. My background is as a financial advisor. So every day we had to pick up the phone and call 200 strangers. I started this in 2000, May of 2000. The internet was not, there was no Facebook. There was no social media marketing. MySpace was barely picking up at that time. There was no social media marketing where we could run ads like that. So you had to cold call people or send out flyers and do all of that stuff. So coming from that world, now that I get to send someone an email and I have them hang up on me 195 times a day, just slamming their phone. No, we don't want to talk to you. Man, this is easy. (laughs) I'll do this for the rest of my life because I'm not getting screamed at, you know? Ron, if you lost everything and you had to rebuild in 30 days, what business would you start and why? Well, if I had to rebuild everything that I have today in 30 days, I would have money within probably 30 hours, right? So if you took everything away from me right now, within a day, I would have a paycheck coming in. And the reason why I know that is because the first thing I would do is I would just sell my sales services. Everybody needs sales. So I would just open up a 
open up a phone book or borrow someone's phone and say, hey, man, can I borrow your phone for an hour? I would go into Google and I would search for any type of services business that sells high ticket stuff, not a car dealership or things like that, but a high ticket services business, a consultant, an accountant firm, something of that sort that I know they, they're going to get a long-term contract and it's going to be worth a lot. And all I would do is I would say, look, let me work for you for one day. I'll set you sales appointments. And can you pay me $200 for every sales appointment that I set for you? I would have five people that would pay me to do that tomorrow, right? So that's where I would start because I would just sell my sales skills. So I think the ability to sell is probably the most underrated skill that an entrepreneur can have. The dream of most entrepreneurs is, well, I don't need to know how to sell. I can hire someone else to do it. Well, you'll never hire the best salespeople because the best salespeople aren't going to work for somebody that can't sell better than them because we we work on a respect matrix. So how are you going to have me out here slaving for you and you can't even sell your own stuff? So we'd be like, no, nah, dude, I ain't selling for him. Why would I do that? You know, you don't even practice what you preach. You can't even hop in the trenches to show me that you believe in your product, but you want me to believe in it. So I'm a firm believer that the CEO has to be the best salesperson. So if I lost everything tomorrow, the first thing I would do is I would go back to selling. I would just, hey, yo, and what you can't take away from me is my knowledge of sales. You can take this shirt, you can take the watch, the microphone, everything. You can't take away what's in my brain. And all I need to do is talk to a company for five minutes for them to know, oh, wait a minute, this dude is doing something totally different than what I've ever thought about. And I would just talk to enough of them until I had, so I don't need 30 days. You ain't got to give me 30 days. You, I'll make some money within 30 hours. Can you tell us why buying a business is the ultimate growth hack? Yeah, buying a business is like cheating, right? Because everything is already there, right? And let me give you an example. Imagine if there was a, imagine if there was an apartment building that had a hundred apartments inside. And they had a three-year waiting list of people wanting to live in this apartment complex, right? And you went to the bank and you said, hey, there's an apartment building that has 100 units. It has a three-year waiting list. And across the street is a vacant piece of land. I'm going to build the same exact apartment building as the one that has the three-year waiting list so that we can take up the slack off of that three-year waiting list and people can live over here. And we we built a competing business. And the bank will say, well, who's going to do the concrete? Oh, I'm going to do it. Well, who's going to do the electricity? Me, I'm going to do it. And who's going to do the roofing? Yeah, me. Do that too. Have you ever done any of these things? No, but I worked at, a, at an apartment complex before. And the bank's going to say, get out of here. We ain't giving you the money. That's what happens when someone tries to start a business from scratch. Who's going to do the accounting? I'm going to do it. Well, have you ever done accounting? No. Who's going to do the marketing? I'm going to do it. You ever done marketing? No. Just like they've never done poured concrete, put up electricity, laid drywall, and done roofing, but they expect for the bank to loan them the money, right? That's part A of the story. Let's go to part B. Five days later, you're driving down the street, the same street, dreaming about that apartment building, looking at that lot, and you see a lady outside crying. And you're like, oh man, why is she crying? Let me see if she needs some help. You go over and you talk to her. And she says, my husband just died. He owned this building. We've owned this building for the last 30 years. My family is actually in Europe. 
I want to go be with my kids. I don't want to have to manage this property. We need to put it on sale. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, we're going to sell it. Okay, give me your car. If you are serious about selling it, I want to buy it. Now, I go back to the same exact bank that just told me they would not give me the money to build the same exact business. I mean, the same exact apartment building. I go to the bank and I say, hey, hey, John, you remember that building I told you about that had the three-year waiting list and 100 apartment buildings? I mean, 100 units? He was like, yeah, Ron, we ain't giving you that money, bro. I don't care how, you know, you can come with a bunch of contracts. You've already showed me you were inexperienced. We're not, it's too big of a risk for us to give you that money right now. No, 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 no. I don't want to build one. That one is for sale. The guy that owned it died. His wife wants to sell it. You got the financials. That's exactly what John's going to say. You got the financials. Bring the financials in and we'll evaluate that. Why? Because it already has the walls. It already has the electricity. It already has the roof. It already has customers. They're willing to take the risk on the past experience of an existing business more than your future potential to build a new business. That's why buying a business is the ultimate hack, because you don't have to figure out all the nuts and bolts to make it work. It's already working. It already has tenants in it. It already has the the landlord that's in there, the leasing agent. She's already in there. I ain't got to go figure none of that out. They already have the systems. I just got to own it. That's my analogy for buying a business. It has the same setup as buying real estate. Real estate is just a housing business. Real estate, they have what type of loan? Starts with three letters, F-H-A. Businesses, they have what type of loan? Starts with three letters, S-B-A. You want to buy a piece of real estate, a commercial property, you need to put down 20%. You want to get an SBA loan, you need to put down 20%. It's the same exact transaction. You want some owner financing on your real estate transaction? They got owner financing on buying a business too. So what most people don't know is that it actually costs you more to build a successful business from scratch than what it does to buy a successful business. I can do the math and show you. It will cost you more not to start a business, but to build a successful business from scratch than what it would cost you to buy a business that's already profitable. I'll show you the quick math. If I wanted to buy a business to replace $200,000 worth of income, how much do you think I would have to pay for it? Just play play with me for a little bit. What do you think I would have to pay for that business? About 40000 But it's going to replace 200000 of my income. So it's going to make 200000 of profits. How much do you think that business would be on the marketplace for? Oh, probably about a million. Yeah, somewhere between 800000 to a million, four to five times profits. So all I have to do, if I want to replace $200,000 of income, is probably come up with 20% of that because the SBA will cover it. Or if I'm really good at the financing part, I can get some owner financing in there right? And buy it over time and come up with less. But let's just say, worst case scenario, I want to buy the whole thing. So I'm going to buy this business for $800,000, right? I need 20% of that, which is $160,000. But as soon as I buy it, how much profit do I have coming in? $200,000. And some of that has to go to pay off the debt. But afterwards, I'm probably still going to have one hundred and twenty. dollars 
100 to $120,000 of net income year one from buying that business. Now, let's go to starting the same business. I want to make 200 grand. Well, the first thing I got to do, I got to quit my job because I got to be all in. And then I got to use my savings to hire the staff I need so that I'm not just this hot dog stand trying to do everything, right? So now I'm already, if I, I lose my income, so I've lost the $10,000 a month I was making. Where over here, when I bought the business, I still got my job and I own the business. So now I quit my job. So I lost income on that side. That's costing me 10 grand a month, which is 120,000 a year that's gone. I got to use my savings to pay staff. So that's costing me. And then I got to use my savings to live off of. That's costing me. And then I got to pay for sales and marketing. That's costing me. In that first year, I've blown 200 grand and I may not have made 200 grand in revenue, not to mention 200 grand in profit. So 93% of baby boomers will not pass their business along to their kids. There's a great Chicago Sun-Times article where Chicago is going through a huge blue collar issue right now because most of the welding and manufacturing businesses, the kids don't want to come back and run dad's multi-million dollar blue collar business. So I see those as opportunities to go out and to buy. You can raise funds from family, you know, but the banks will support you on that. The banks will always support buying an existing asset. They will not support buying, I mean, purchasing or building a new asset. That's why they have venture capitalists on that side who are willing to take the risk, but they're going to take half of your business. That's why buying a business is the easy growth hack. I got the banks on my side. They don't want any equity. I go in with income right off the bat. So I'm not like, oh man, where am I? how are we going to make money? No, I'm only buying it if it's making money. If it's not making money, how is it going to pay the mortgage? It's going to have to pay the mortgage on that, on that loan I got from the SBA. So I need... I need it to be making some profit. So we're only going to buy it if it's making profit. Why? Because the value of the business is based on a multiple of the profits. Does that make sense? So hopefully that wasn't too complicated, but I wanted to use the real estate example because I think people get that. If you go buy an existing building, the, the, the bank will give you the money for it. If you tell them you want to develop some empty land, they're going to laugh you out of that bank. So just... Substitute building for business. Substitute the empty land as a startup. It's the same concept, SBA, FHA. Same process, same, it's all the same. It's I promise you it's the same. So Ron, you talked about raising capital. Mm -hmm. How did you raise capital to start your business? I didn't. That's why I'm so adamant about people buying a business. I know what it's like to burn up your bread quitting your job. I used to run 300 offices for farmer's insurance, right? And I left that to start my own business. And I was like, dude, this was stupid because I could have paid someone out of my farmer's salary to do the work in the other business. So let's say I still wanted to start. I should have kept my job because my job is my first investor. They're my first venture capitalist. As long as I keep going to work, making 100 bucks an hour, anything that costs me less than $100 an hour, I should do. I should be paying someone else $15, $20 an hour to do those jobs. I didn't have a mentor to tell me that at the time. 
I was just out here figuring it out on my own. I'm the first entrepreneur in my family. I'm out here bumping my head and I got all these bruises and receding hairline because me bumping my head against the wall for the last 15, 20 years. <laughs> so I funded, I self-funded all of my businesses. So when I first started, I was just wasting my own cash. And I'm like, dude, th there has to be a better way. And in 2012, I got introduced into the software world in St. Louis. And I was working with different venture capital firms in St. Louis, helping their companies that they own to build sales systems so that they could sell. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm selling these consulting contracts. Yeah, I'm making 40, 50 grand per contract. You know, they're paying me $5,000 a month on a one year. I got six or seven of them running at the same time. But when they sell the company, I don't get none of that. All I got was the little consulting money for building out their sales system. I, I should do this for myself. So I took the money that I had saved and I said, look, I'm going to start looking to buy businesses. I'm going to just buy a software company because I can't code. I don't know how to program anything. So I was out and I was looking for inadvertently looking for something. And I found a company that was for sale. And I reached out to the guy and I said, dude, you, you serious about selling this? And he was like, yeah. And seven days later, I sent him the money. He sent me over the code, shut down his side of the business and PitchDB was born. So I'm a firm believer that if you, the best investor in any business is the bank. Again, the best investor in any business is the bank. The reason why is because they don't take equity. Equity is ownership of the business. I think that anybody who's raising cash to buy a business, they probably should be buying an existing business, not, not raising money to start a software company. You should be going to a bank, borrowing money in order to buy the existing business. And when you think of banks... And when you think of a lot of emerging diverse businesses, them getting backing from the bank can be a little bit challenging. What is your suggestion? I think the question is, why is it challenging? Is it challenging because they're trying to borrow money from the bank to start something? I would guarantee you nine times out of 10, that's what it is. It's not that they're buying, they're going to the bank and getting rejected because they're trying to buy something. You know, it's because they're trying to start. So if you're going to the bank to get money to start a business, you're already in the wrong place. That's not where you go to start. You don't go to the bank to get startup capital. You go to the bank to get acquisition capital. So here's what I would, I'll give you a solution to my, to my complaint there. Let's say, for instance, I wanted to start a Mexican restaurant because I make the best birria tacos in Colombia. How would you suggest I go about it? Would you suggest I go look for places to rent? The normal person would say, I'm going to go look for a space. I need to find out how much these kitchen equipment costs. I got to get some plates and all of this stuff, right? And I think that they should, if that's what they want to do, go ahead. But be ready for the rejection from the bank. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open up my phone. I'm going to take my iPhone and I'm going to type in Mexican restaurant, taco houses in Medellin, Colombia or whatever city. And I'm going to call each and every one of them and say, have you ever thought about selling? Have you thought about selling? And I guarantee you one of them say, yeah, for the right price, I probably would sell. Okay, let's have lunch. And I would go into their restaurant and I would buy them lunch at their restaurant because I want to taste the food, right? Because I don't want to buy a company where the food is trash. So I'm going to go, I'm going to meet you at your restaurant. 
I'm going to buy you lunch there. I want to taste the food. If the food is good and we're able to come up to a deal, cool. I'm buying that restaurant. And what am I going to do with my little dream I had? I'm just going to add those tacos to the menu. I'm going to add the tacos to the menu. It's zero risk. Because guess what? If people in Colombia don't like my tacos, guess what I still can do? I can take them off the menu and I still got a good Mexican restaurant that's profitable that I own. The bank will give me money for that every day of the week if I have decent credit and a little bit of down payment money that I've saved. But if I went to the bank and I said, hey, I want to start this new restaurant. Restaurants are the most likely to fail businesses on earth. They have the highest probability of failure and the lowest profit margins. You, Who wants to run a, a restaurant that's like start one from scratch? That's hard. I would just go buy one and put my tacos on the menu, player. <laughs> that's great. I think that's a brilliant strategy. I like that. Thank you for that. Ron, tell me the mindset required to build the life of your dreams. I can sum it up in one statement. You got to work like a slave to live like a king. Most people, they see the living part. Instagram shows the great living part. You go on Instagram, you can see everybody with their Lambos and, you know, all of this stuff. But they don't see people like really working. One of my good friends, his name's Marvin. And if you look on, on Instagram, he's everywhere. I mean, he has he's doing all of this great stuff. He's doing conferences and all of this. But people just met Marvin in the last 12 months. I've known Marvin for seven years. This dude works all day, every day. But they didn't see that. They didn't see all of the beating his head against the wall, doing five meetings a week, you know, buying 100 people a week dinner at Ruth's Chris, literally buying hundreds of people a week Ruth's Chris dinners to just so they would listen to his speech. He would buy them dinner just to, so that they would listen to his speech. Now they see him giving talks and they're like, man, how you get so good? He did 3,000 dinners. <laughs> like, so if you work like a slave, you'll eventually live like a king. But most people want to live like a king and just have a bunch of slaves underneath telling them what to do. And that's just not how business works. So high five to Marvin for what he's done. I, I admire the work that he's done. But I watched him work. I watched the hard work and the trials and the tribulations and all of the stuff. Now he gets to live like a king and everybody think it just happened yesterday. The dude's working 15 hours a week. I mean, 15 hours a day, you know, seven days a week to build what he has. So just hard work. Ron, I want you to have a monologue. I want you to name this person, living or not. They've inspired you so much. What are you saying to this person and name the person? Oh, man, that would be tough. I'll use my mom. She's easy, right? I'll give a great tribute to my mom. My mom, she born in Norfolk, Virginia, moved across the country with my dad because he was in the Navy. And this is where he, he was from St. Louis. And she we grew up our entire lives in East St. Louis. And the amount of perseverance and courage it takes to be so far away from your family for so many years, for the sake of the kids, for us to be around my dad and everybody else. I think that that was courageous. And it kind of mirrors what I'm doing now, living 5,000 miles away from my entire family, raising a family of my own. I know the courage it took for her to do that. So 
I would just say thank you to her for being a courageous woman, always being happy. I've never heard her complain about anything. And yeah, so that's the, I, I would give a tribute to my mom because I think most of my my character comes from her. She's a, she's a stand-up lady and she never made a million dollars or did anything outrageous that most people would give kudos for. But she raised three great kids. She raised some great grandkids and now she has two great, great grandkids. I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to my mom right now. Everybody else, you know, she's the most important person outside of my kids. Ron, if you conducted this interview, what is the one question you would have asked yourself? I want you to ask the question and answer it. Why do you live where you live? That would be the question. Are you there because you're afraid to go and see what else is out there? Are you there because you believe that you're trapped? Are you there because you don't feel like you have the the capital or the means or the business to go and see what else the world has to offer? Why do you stay where you are? That's the question. To answer that, I would say I encourage everyone who's listening to this to get your passport. It costs $1 a month for 10 years, which is $120. It's a dollar a month. You get it, you know, 120 months. You can travel to probably 100 countries without a visa, just with your passport as a U.S. citizen. Go out and see the world. We're going to all eventually die one day. And I think that character and courage is built by stepping outside of the, the comfort zone. So that's what I would do. I would ask everybody, why do you stay where you are? Why not go and see Europe, Africa, South America? Go see where us Black folks are from. You know, it's I'm surprised when people come here, they say, Black people live in Colombia? More slaves were brought to Central and South America than North America. You know, I, I encourage people to go out there and see other people who look just like you that speak multiple different languages. People think I'm an alien because I can speak Spanish. I'm like, dude, I'm not an alien. I just practiced. <laughs> like, you know, so to see a black man from East St. Louis, hablando espanol, cuando quieren, it's like, oh man, that is, what did he say? Like, to see a black man from St. Louis speaking Spanish when other people wanted to, that's a gift. So I, I challenge everyone to step out of your comfort zone, go see the world. And you'll be surprised how to, how to positively affect your business. You'll learn how different cultures do different things. And you may find some great opportunities. Nine of our employees all live here in Medellin. So all of our, everybody in my company in PitchDB, they all are Colombians. They're just Black people that speak Spanish. So we're hiring Black English speakers here in Colombia that are native Colombians, but they're just Black that natively speak Spanish, but they also speak English so that they can talk to our customers. And what can we do right now to support PitchDB? Well, the first thing you can do, I would actually say, what could you do to support yourself using PitchDB? You can go and sign up for a free account on PitchDB and get on more podcasts, right? So from a selfish point of view, like in your own best self-interest, if you would like to be interviewed on podcasts just like this or other podcasts that may fit your for audience of your topic. We have 3 million podcasts inside of PitchDB that are all looking for guests. So I can promise you that if you go in there and you send out some invitations and ask people to be on podcasts, you will be. So I don't even, don't do it for me, do it for you and for your business. Hop on to PitchDB. It's www.pitchdb.com. When you sign up, we'll give you all the instructions you need. We show you how to write the pitches. We give you templates. 
You can listen to the podcast inside. Do it for yourself. Don't do it for me. It's in your best interest to use PitcherDB to share your message or more podcasts. We've come to the part of our interview. It's called Rapid Round of Fun. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I'd like you to give me very quick answers. If there's something you desire not to answer, feel free to say pass. Are you ready for the Rapid Round of Fun? Sure. What is your comfort food? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, steak. <laughs> I probably eat steak every day. The last movie you saw? Avatar. The Walk of Water. I think that's the name of it. The latest Avatar. You relax doing what? Playing golf. Your favorite singer or rapper? Right now it would be Tim's, the Nigerian um, R&B singer. Tim's or either Daniel Caesar. I would give one male Daniel Caesar, woman Tim's, T-E-M-S. She, she makes great music. Your favorite dance song? La Rebellion by Carlos Arroyo. I think that's his name. It's a... Uh, Salsa song. Your favorite month? No, that's when I was born. It's the greatest month ever. <laughs> Your ideal car? I don't know. I don't even own a car right now, which is weird. You know, I was a big car guy. I used to take pictures of a bunch of cars. So I would say a Mercedes because I've owned a lot of those. So that's the car I've owned the most. Ron Story Jr., thank you so much for joining us on Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast. Before we let you go, share with our audience the best way for them to connect with you and to do business with you. And feel free to leave all your social media handles. Well, all of my social media handles are the same. R-O-N-S-T-O-R-Y-J-R. You can find me everywhere just with that, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Whatever, whatever you use it. If you look up Ron Story Jr., I own it. If you want to know more about me, just add a .com to the end, ronstoryjr.com. All of the companies that I've owned, either started or, or have purchased, they're all on my website. And I would tell you to always do what's in your best interest. Don't do it to support me. Do it because you believe I can help you. So act in your best interest in using the services that we have, because we believe that that's that's what will best benefit you. If we can really help you, we will. If we can't, we'll tell you that we can. Thank you, Ron. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening and subscribing to Black Entrepreneur Experience. We would love for you to leave a review and rating on iTunes and share with your friends. For show notes and more episodes, go to www.beepodcast.com. Join us next Wednesday. And remember, green is the new black. So keep your bank accounts and your business in the black.